Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Raycon. Get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon's offering you 15% off all their products, and here's all you've got to do to get the deal. Go to buyraycon.com gold. And today's podcast is also sponsored by Indeed. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match Assessments and Virtual Interviews. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. This morning we got another look at the government's report card on inflation. And of course, what makes this report card particularly unreliable is that the government is grading itself. Because after all, the government is creating inflation through the Federal Reserve, and then the government is reporting that inflation to the public itself. So it's kind of like if kids were able to write up their own report cards, kind of grade themselves, and then present their self-grading to their parents to review their schoolwork, obviously Parents might take such a report card with a grain of salt if they knew that their kids prepared it themselves. What gives the report card relevance is the fact that the teacher prepared it, not your kids. And so you have a reason to rely on the teacher. But there's really no reason to rely on the government, especially when it comes to giving you the inflation numbers. I mean, my father always used to say, that expecting the government to deliver an accurate report on inflation would be like expecting the mafia to deliver an accurate report on crime. 
And that's obviously because the mafia has an incentive to underreport crime, especially since they're committing it. So the last thing the mafia wants is more police on the job that they have to bribe. And the same is true for the U.S. government. The U.S. government is creating a lot of inflation, but the last thing they want is for the public to know there's inflation because then they may have to do something about it. That is particularly true for the Federal Reserve, which for years and years has been telling us the problem is there's not enough inflation, that we need more inflation. Well, they really want to continue with that false narrative. And so they've never wanted to tell the public that we have more inflation because then they'd have to stop pretending that we don't have enough of it. But it's the pretense that we don't have enough inflation that is what enables the Fed to get away with their excessively loose monetary policy. They're providing all this stimulus, in theory, to protect us from deflation. But if that's not really a threat, then on what basis do they continue with 0% interest rates or quantitative easing? So again, take these government numbers with a grain of salt, or at least recognize that whatever the number is, the actual numbers are much higher because the government doesn't have an incentive to report the truth, so we get a bunch of lies. And again, I'm not saying that the government bureaucrats who compile the statistics are lying. My point has always been the methodology used by those bureaucrats to compile these statistics. That's where the problem is, that the methodology was deliberately designed to understate the true increase in the cost of living. The expectation for the rise in September was 0.3%, and that would have matched the 0.3% increase the prior month. And in fact, the prior month was the only month of the year where the actual number came out below expectations. Well, the September number proved the August number to be the exception to the rule because once again, the actual number exceeded what was expected. We got a 0.4% increase in consumer prices month over month. Same thing with the year-over-year gain. The expectation was for a 5.3% year-over-year gain. That would have matched the 5.3% year-over-year increase in August, but instead we got a 5.4% increase. On the core, it came in in line, the prior month was up just 0.1 and September was up 0.2. Same thing with the year over year core. It was 4% last month. The expectation was 4% year over year again in September. And that's exactly what we got 4%. You know, if you look at that year over year number, this is the fifth consecutive month where we have had year over year CPI gains in excess of 5%. But of course, if you take the numbers that have been reported so far for the first three quarters of the year, because we have nine months now of CPI data. So if you annualize those nine months to a full year, we are looking at 6% year over year. So if the pace keeps up by the end of this year, we will have a year over year rate of 6%. Of course, we know that the actual rate is much higher than that, especially if you just look at owner's equivalent rent, which according to the government, year over year, rents are just up 2.9%. And this is 23.5% of the CPI. Although I know rent in general makes up an even larger portion, I forget what the other rental components are, but the owner's equivalent rent 
is the single largest component in the entire CPI, and the government claims 2.9% year over year, the gain for 2021 annualized comes in at 3.23%, so a little bit more, but still much less than the actual increase. I think the last statistics I saw is that rents in 2013 alone, not just year over year, I think the last statistic that I saw was that in 2021 alone, not year over year, but just the nine months of 2021, that rents are up about 12%. So close to four times the increase that the government claims when they're using the fiction called owner's equivalent rent. But if you substituted actual rent for owner's equivalent rent, and then you calculated the annualized gain for the CPI for 2021, instead of being 6%, it would be 8%. So clearly 8% is a more accurate representation because it would include real rents instead of make-believe rents. But of course, there's a lot more fraud that goes into the CPI calculation. So I think the reality that Americans are facing when they shop is year-over-year inflation rates or annualized inflation rates north of 10%. So we really have double-digit inflation if the government were accurately reporting it. And of course, if we used the CPI, that was in effect during the 1970s. If we just took that exact same CPI and made the calculations using today's numbers, but yesterday's CPI, we would have a double-digit rate of inflation. In fact, it may even be closer to 20% than 10%. That's how inaccurate the current barometer is that we're using to measure inflation. Now, initially, when the news came out that we got hotter-than-expected inflation, once again, the immediate reaction in the gold market was a sell-off. Gold actually was up about $14, $15 before the number. So gold was starting the morning strong. As soon as the number came out, gold sold off and went negative. Why? Again, I've explained it many times on this podcast. Whenever there is hotter than expected inflation, the market reacts by selling gold because they expect the Fed to put out that fire. So it's always bearish for gold, paradoxically, when we get bad inflation data because the markets think that the Fed is going to do something about that bad data and that doing something will be bearish for gold because they're going to fight inflation. They're going to raise rates. They're going to kick inflation's butt. And therefore, people are selling gold in anticipation of this successful battle against inflation. Now, I've always said this makes no sense whatsoever. There's no way the Fed is going to really wage a war against inflation. If it even tried, it would have to surrender. It would lose. It's probably just not even going to enter the ring, right? And inflation will just win the fight by default. And of course, even if they begin the fight, they have to give up very quickly. They have to throw in the towel because of the damage that the fight will do to the economy, to the financial markets, to the federal budget. And so even if they begin the fight, they have to quickly surrender and inflation is going to come back stronger than ever. But what happened today, and this is different from what has been happening in the past, is after that knee-jerk reflexive reaction, almost like just the computer algorithms have been programmed, worse than expected inflation, sell gold, sell silver, right? Buy dollars, that's normally what they do. 
money immediately came in to take the other side of the trade. And gold had a very impressive rally. In fact, we closed the day near the highs up about $33 an ounce, almost at 1800 again, not quite. I think about 1793 is where we settled. Silver up better than 50 cents, just back above $23 an ounce. So I think the fact that you now saw traders buying the dip on worse than expected inflation news maybe means that this fantasy that bad inflation numbers are also bad for gold is now over. Maybe investors are realizing that bad news on inflation is actually good news for gold. And in fact, that is also borne out in the foreign exchange markets. The dollar was down across the board. Normally, we're talking about a stronger dollar when we get worse than expected inflation news. Instead, the dollar index dropped 0.4 to 94.03, one of the weakest days we've had in a while. Now, of course, this is the reaction that makes sense. If you find out that your dollars are losing value faster than you thought they were going to lose value, you should want to sell your dollars. But in this bizarro world that we're living in, News that your dollars are losing value faster makes traders want to buy dollars because they expect the Fed to react to this news by raising interest rates, therefore increasing the appeal of the dollar. Of course, this can happen. See, what traders maybe are just finally coming around to understanding is that even if the Fed raises rates, we're only talking about nominal rates. Real interest rates are going to stay negative. Remember, we've got 6% annualized inflation, even by the government's own measure in 2021, the yield on the 10-year treasury is barely over one and a half percent. The yield on the 30-year treasury is barely over two percent. This doesn't even come close to making you whole for six percent inflation, let alone the reality of what inflation really is. So these are negative real rates and negative real rates are going to be with us indefinitely. And in fact, they're probably going to get even more negative even when the Fed eventually increases the nominal rates. I think they will do so at a rate that is slower than the acceleration in the rate of inflation. And these tiny rate hikes that the Fed may eventually impose will be too small to do anything to bend the inflation curve. So they will continuously fall further and further behind the curve even as they inch up the nominal rates. So I think maybe the traders are starting to see that and that's why gold rallied today. In fact, if you look at what happened in the bond market, normally when you get the worse than expected inflation news, bonds go down and yields go up. But today the opposite happened. Bond prices rose and long-term yields fell even as short-term rates went up. But the long end went down, so the yield curve flattened. And the reason for that, I think, is maybe the traders are figuring out again that even if the Fed does taper or does raise rates to fight off non-transitory, worse-than-expected inflation, that the fight won't last very long. Because in fighting inflation, the Fed will end up undermining what's left of the recovery and bringing about a recession. And that is why bond prices are rising and rates are falling is because the markets are looking beyond the rate hikes to the inevitable rate cuts. Any tightening policy sows the seeds 
for the next easing. And of course, every successive ease has to be bigger than the one before because of the tolerance we build up in the economy. We're a much bigger drug addict. Every time the Fed juices the economy with monetary heroin, we have bigger and bigger problems, bigger and bigger bubbles that need to be sustained, and it requires an ever larger dose. So maybe the investors are now looking past the inflation fight to the inflation surrender, and so now they are buying gold. And if this is the case, if gold is now going to go up, if silver is now going to go up on bad inflation news, then this rally has a long way to go. In fact, gold and silver have a long way to go to catch up to where they should have been had people been buying gold on bad inflation news all along. But also, if you look at the charts, the charts look pretty constructive that we have turned the corner on both metals and that we're moving higher. And the same is true for the gold and silver mining stocks. The GDX up three and a quarter percent today, but took out a pretty significant moving average and trend line. The same thing with the juniors, even a bigger move up just under three and a half percent, but the same chart pattern breaking out of some overhead resistance and some moving averages. So it looks like there's a lot of clear sailing ahead for both the metal and the miners to move significantly higher in the very near future and as well as the long term. And while I'm talking about rising interest rates, there's one thing that very few people seem to appreciate or even discuss, and that is the effect that rising interest rates will have on consumer prices. Because as interest rates move up, both because the markets expect the Fed to raise them or because the markets build in a higher inflation premium to offset the lost purchasing power on their loans due to inflation. So as inflation causes rates to go up, that in and of itself exerts additional upward pressure on consumer prices. That's because interest rates are a cost. It's part of the cost of production. If you're a business and you're producing things, it's not just the raw material that you have to cover the costs or not just your workers' salaries or your rents. You also have to pay interest on whatever money you borrowed to finance your capital investment or other parts of your business. And so that interest cost is baked into the production cost and ultimately needs to be covered by the end consumer in the final selling price. So this is just another pressure on prices in this environment. And, you know, by the way, as I am watching the coverage of the inflation numbers on mainstream TV, it really bothers me whenever they talk about food inflation, commodity inflation, wage inflation, right? They always have some kind of word that they want to use to preface inflation. But that really just lets the Federal Reserve off the hook for creating the inflation. Because if they say we have food inflation, well, now people want to blame the farmers, right? They're doing something. If it's wage inflation, well, let's blame those workers or let's blame the unions or whatever it is that they want to blame it on. But the real blame belongs with the Fed. And there is no such thing as commodity inflation. Commodity prices can rise and fall, but that's not inflation. And the only way that all prices could go up is if the Fed creates the inflation. Because if there are supply bottlenecks in one particular commodity and the price of that commodity goes up, 
the price of some other commodity is going to go down or some other service to offset that because there's only a certain amount of money in the economy. And if you have to spend more on one thing, well, then you've got to spend less on something else. So the only way you're going to get the price of everything going up is if the government is creating inflation, which is what they're doing, which is why we are experiencing this. But you never want to say goods inflation or wage inflation. It's just inflation. And if you just say inflation, then everybody knows where it's coming from, at least if you define it the correct way. It's monetary inflation. That's all it is. That's what's being inflated, the supply of money. And so that's why we're seeing prices going up. So I really wish the the media would stop using these terms. Part of the problem is, of course, they don't understand what inflation is. And so that's why they're saying this. But the question is, why don't they know the real meaning of inflation? And that has to do with the success of the government's propaganda campaign to confuse the public and the media as to the true definition of inflation so that they don't realize what the source is. Because once you properly define inflation, then there's only one source, and that's the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve. The U.S. government runs the budget deficits, and then the Federal Reserve monetizes those deficits, prints more money, so both the Fed and the government work together to create that inflation. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. There's so much going on in the world today. There's a lot of news that you want to keep on top of. There's also a lot of added stress. And what better way to relieve some of the stress than by listening to some pleasant music. Whether I'm using them to pump up, wind down, work, or work out, Raycons are my go-to for on-the-go audio. We've teamed up with Raycon, and now you can get 15% off your Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash gold. Their new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. 
with an improved rubber oil look and feel and optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are impressive even before you start listening. You get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. My favorite is Pure Mode. It's great for podcasts, but it's also good for music, blues, instrumentals. You got Balance Mode that's better for maybe rock and heavy metal. And you got Bass Mode that's better for stuff like hip-hop and reggae. There's also an all-new Awareness Mode for those times where you need to listen to your surroundings instead. Raycons offer 8 hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. There's also a built-in mic that allows you to take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. And right now, my listeners get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash gold. That's buyraycon.com slash gold and save 15% on your Raycons. Then later in the day, we got a press conference by President Biden. Although they're not really press conferences because when you give a press conference, I think the word conference in and of itself implies that there's a discussion, right? That you're going to field some questions from the reporters, right? After all, what's the point of having a room full of reporters if you're not going to let the reporters ask you questions, right? So if the president just wants to make a statement, he can make a statement from the Oval Office. He doesn't have to go into a room with a bunch of reporters. And what's the point of the reporters even going to the room to be in the same room with the president, right? You know, and risk getting COVID or spreading COVID, right? Everybody's worried about COVID. Well, why have an unnecessary conference if the president isn't going to take a single question? Obviously, Biden wants to create the impression that he's giving a press conference. He wants people to see him standing in a room with a bunch of reporters, but he's not even taking any questions. The minute he finishes his prepared remarks, everybody starts, you know, Mr. President, Mr. President, he turns around and walks right out. The whole thing is a show. He wants to create the appearance that he's giving a press conference, but he's not. He's just delivering a statement because he doesn't have the guts to field any questions because he probably doesn't have the confidence that he can answer them. And so he's just there. He reads his remarks and then walks out the door. But the reason that Biden gave the conference was to address the inflation concerns, except he didn't really talk about what's really happening. And of course, I wouldn't expect him to. He again blamed everything on the supply bottlenecks, right? It's all about these supply chain bottlenecks. It's got nothing to do with all the Fed money printing. It's got nothing to do with the president's own policies of paying people not to work or these massive budget deficits, right? None of this is the reason that we're experiencing these high prices. It's all about these pesky supply chain bottlenecks. And the government, with the help of Biden, they're going to solve the problem. They're going to fix it. So one thing that Biden reassured everybody was that the president was working with the ports, the ports out in California, to make sure that they are operating 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week. That's his solution. Let's just make sure we have more people working at these ports. Of course, how are you going to get the workers? They're going to have to pay a lot of money to get all these extra workers, or if they're going to have the workers they've got to work overtime, right? That's going to cost even more money because I think more likely they're going to be paying their existing workers overtime rather than finding new workers. And so it's going to cost a lot of money. And ultimately those higher prices are going to be built in to the end consumer prices as well. But supposedly this is the solution to this problem. All we're doing there is trying to manage the imports. The reason that there's so much congestion at the ports is because we're importing so much stuff in the first place. If we had a more productive economy, if we actually can produce more of the stuff that we consume, we wouldn't have to import as much. And so the ports wouldn't be as congested with all the imports. The other problem is the trade isn't balanced. We have all this stuff coming in. We don't have stuff going out. So that screws up the whole process. It screws up the containers. The real solution involves making America more productive and more competitive so that we don't have to import as much stuff. We can make more stuff ourselves. And in fact, Biden even acknowledged that in this statement that he made. He expressed concern over the fact that we are too heavily reliant on imports, which is correct. He should be concerned. He should be more concerned than he is. And Biden says that he wants America to make more stuff. He wants us to produce more goods ourselves rather than rely on the productive capacity of other nations, especially nations that may not necessarily be our friends, right? And all that is true. But what was Biden's proposal to bring about more competitiveness in the U.S. economy, he referred to his Build Back Better plan. He said the way America is going to be more productive and more competitive is if we pass this $3.5 trillion spending bill to make the U.S. government bigger and more expensive. And then the government is going to spend this money so wisely that the result of that is that the economy is going to be more productive and we're not going to need to rely on imports as much because of these investments that the government is going to make with our money. Of course, the opposite is going to be true. The more resources the Biden administration transfers from the private sector to the public sector, the less productive the U.S. economy will be the less competitive we'll be, the more reliant we will become on imports. In fact, what Biden doesn't understand is the reason America now runs these huge trade deficits, whereas in the past we used to run huge trade surpluses, is because government is already so much bigger and so much of a greater burden on the productive part of the economy. That is the problem. So if Biden really wants to restore American competitiveness and American productivity, we need to restore the freedom and the opportunity that were destroyed by big government. So rather than passing this Build Back Better plan, we need to scrap the plan and we need to work on eliminating a lot of the government programs that have already been passed so that we can cut government spending and free up those resources back to the private sector where they can be put to productive use. We need to get rid of a lot of burdensome regulation that have forced so much of our production to be outsourced. And we got to address the interest rate problem. The Fed has to let interest rates rise so that we stop gambling and speculating and funding all this nonsense and we can actually fund legitimate production. We need businesses to invest in plant and equipment 
We need savings. We need the consumer to stop spending and stop borrowing. And that means we need higher interest rates. So we're not going to get back to the type of economy that Biden is talking about, one where we're more self-reliant and independent because we produce ourselves until the Federal Reserve lets these bubbles deflate and allows market forces to rebuild a more balanced economy, one that actually has savings and investment that facilitates domestic production of all the goods that we now rely on foreign nations to produce. But of course, the Biden administration is never going to admit that. And of course, he's not even willing to field any questions on the outside chance that maybe one of the reporters might have said something about that, although I doubt they would have, knowing the reporters. So the government and the Federal Reserve continue to be let off the hook for all the problems that they're creating and trying to blame on other people. Now, I also wanted to point out, I took a look at the Predicted website. This is the online betting site. And Jerome Powell is a 85% probability that he is going to be renominated for a second term. Now, personally, I think that's probably a little high. I think the odds are a little less than that. I still think he's better than even money to get renominated because I think that at the end of the day, Biden may not want to rock the boat. I mean, after all, Powell is playing ball. And as long as Powell is in place, if there's a problem, well, you know, they can still blame it on Trump because he appointed Powell. But if Biden takes a chance on a new nominee and then the markets react badly, then it's clearly his fault because he just picked somebody that caused a problem. And he may not want to take that chance despite all the pressure from the Elizabeth Warrens uh, to replace him. But the interesting thing about the candidates that have the best probability of replacing him, if you look at the top five candidates, in fact, there only were five candidates to choose from where you could place a bet on predicted. And if you look at those five candidates, because you can see their photographs there of their faces, three of the five are African-American men and two are women. So in other words, it seems to me that the only criteria for replacing Powell with somebody else is race and gender. They want to make sure that he's replaced by either a black man or a woman. I thought it was interesting that they didn't find any black women on the list because the two women were white, but I guess they only have to check one box. So the women checked the female box and the black men, well, they checked the black box. And so they met the criteria. But this shows you how ridiculous this whole thing is. I think Powell should be replaced. I don't think he's doing a good job, but it's got nothing to do with his race. It's got nothing to do with his gender. He's not doing a bad job because he's a white man. He's doing a bad job because he's printing too much money, because he's basically a Keynesian. He's cooperating with the government in monetizing all these debts. And all of these candidates that they want to replace him with would make the same mistakes even bigger. But somehow, I think you have a lot of people that think that the problem with Powell is he's too male and he's too white. And if he just was female or black, he would understand the problems that blacks and females are facing And he would therefore use his position as Fed chairman to help solve those problems when it's impossible. Even if that were the case, even if having a African-American or female Fed chairman would mean that that chairman or chairwoman was more sensitive to these issues, it has no effect on monetary policy. You can't solve those problems by creating inflation. 
The level of interest rates, money printing, does nothing about those problems. But so many people in Washington think they do. What they want is a Federal Reserve that will help finance all these programs that a lot of people in Washington think will help women or help African Americans. So they don't want the Fed taking away the punch bowl. They don't want the Fed fighting inflation. They want the Fed monetizing their larger deficits. So that's really what they want to do. And if you look at the candidates who are potentially going to replace Powell, it's pretty obvious. But it's also for political show because they want to show, see, we've appointed a black man. We've appointed a woman. See, one of the good guys, because Powell is a white male, so he's bad, right? He's evil, right? Elizabeth Warren has said Powell's an evil person. Why is he evil? He's the wrong gender. He's the wrong sex. So we got to get rid of the bad guy and put in a good guy. And obviously, if we put in a woman or an African-American, then by definition, we put in somebody good. But the reality is, All of those replacements are going to be worse. And they're not going to be worse because they're black or because they're women. They're going to be worse because they will pursue an even more reckless monetary policy. They will be even bigger doves than the big fat dove we got there right now. No business can afford to pay for what they don't need. At Indeed.com, you only pay for the quality candidates that meet your must-have job requirements. When hiring gets hard... You need Indeed. Indeed is your hiring partner that gets you what you want when you want it. A short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire on Indeed. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you every step along the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. In fact, what I love about Indeed most is it allows you to do all your hiring in one easy place. Your perfect job candidate is out there somewhere. It's just with Indeed, you're far more likely to find him or her. Finding great talent doesn't have to be your second job. You can hire faster and better if you simply partner up with Indeed. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job posts, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. So get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com Peter. That's Indeed.com Peter. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. If you're hiring, then you need Indeed. As usual, though, the coverage on CNBC had a lot more to do with Bitcoin today than gold. Even though gold had a pretty good rally today, you really wouldn't know much about it if you just watched CNBC because they mostly focused on Bitcoin 
as did most of their guests that were commenting on the markets. Bitcoin was again the topic du jour. Of course, the price of Bitcoin continues to trade well above 50,000 per coin. As I'm recording this podcast, we're up around 57,000. So price is very high. Of course, the price of a lot of cryptocurrencies are also going up. But probably the most ridiculous comment I heard today, and you know, there's Lots of ridiculous comments made all day long on CNBC about Bitcoin. But the comments by Barry Sternlich early this morning, I think were the most worthy of my commenting on. Not that they were really worthy of anything else other than a spot on the Peter Schiff Show podcast because of the absurdity of the statement. And if you don't know who Barry Sternlich is, he is the chairman of Starwood Capital Group. So they manage all these hotels And so a lot of the stuff that Barry had to say before he started talking about gold and Bitcoin, I completely agree with. He was talking about how the Fed has turned the markets into casinos, how there's bubbles everywhere, there's lots of inflation, that it's not transitory. So he said a lot of good stuff until he veered off into the topic of Bitcoin and gold because he admitted on air that he was buying both Bitcoin and Ethereum as a hedge against inflation. And he was buying it instead of buying gold. That was his inflation hedge. But he also admitted, and these are his own words, that he thought Bitcoin was a dumb coin. And the reason he thought it was a dumb coin was because unlike other cryptocurrencies, it really doesn't have any use other than a store of value. But he claims that it's a store of value even though it has no use. Now, I argue that if something has no use, then exactly what value are you storing? Because when you store value, you're storing the use of the item, right? I could use the item today, the commodity, or I can store it to use it in the future. But if I can't use it for anything today, then I'm not storing any value for future use. So this is always lost on the Bitcoin people. But then after he admitted that Bitcoin had no use, but it was still a store of value, He said, but the reason it's okay is because he said that gold and silver also have no value. Yet people valued them for years. They were used as an inflation hedge. And so if gold and silver, which have no value, are inflation hedges, then why can't Bitcoin, which also has no value, be an inflation hedge? But of course, the point that he is missing is gold and silver are not worthless. They do have value. To dismiss the value of gold and silver, to say gold and silver have no value, therefore Bitcoin can have value, you're starting with a false premise. So your entire argument that's built on top of that false premise falls apart. Gold and silver have value. Why does Barry Sternlich think they're called precious metals? I mean, does he not understand the meaning of the word precious? Because precious actually literally means of great value. So the reason gold and silver and platinum and palladium, all four, the reason they're considered the precious metals is because they have much greater value than other metals. And because they have so much value, we refer to them as being precious metals. So maybe he doesn't understand that concept. Now, I know part of the confusion in the Bitcoin community about gold's value is people just assume that, well, gold is, let's say, $1,800 an ounce. And they try to think of, well, what would gold be worth if all the investment demand went away? So if the only buyers of gold were jewelers or the electronic industry 
or the aerospace industry or the dental industry or the medical industry, right? If it was only used for actual use, right? If you eliminate all the bullion that central banks are storing in vaults or all the bullion that private citizens are storing in vaults, if nobody wanted to store any gold and if it was just being used in jewelry and electronics, they assumed the price would be a fraction of 1800 When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe they think it would be $100, $200. Now, I don't know how they would come to that calculation because it still costs more than $1,000 an ounce to get the gold out of the ground. And so if the price dropped that precipitously, there would be no additional supply. Now, of course, there would be the supply as the world divests of gold. And so we would get all that central bank gold. And so we can start doing stuff with it. And of course, if all that gold were available cheap, we'd be using it for all sorts of things because gold is a very valuable metal that would be used far more often, but for the high price. Because the price is so high, companies use other metals Instead of gold that do the job, they just don't do the job as well. But for the money, they're the better alternative. But if you brought the price of gold down considerably, then people might just start using gold instead of copper or other metals that they've substituted because of the cost differential. If the cost differential narrows, then they may go with their first choice, which would be gold. But the important distinction that people, I guess, don't get when it comes to gold is that gold is forever. I've explained it on the podcast before, but I want to make the point again. The price of gold doesn't just reflect the use of gold today. It reflects the fact that you can use it again and again and again tomorrow. That's not the case with other commodities. Let's say you drill some oil and oil comes out of the ground and now I buy some oil and I use it. I burn the oil for whatever purpose, generate energy, you know, run a car, right? I use the oil. That oil is gone. It's gone forever. It can't be reused. So if I want to get new oil, well, we got to find it and get it out of the earth, right? It's gone. But when you mine gold, if I get some gold and I use it to make some jewelry, the gold could be used again to make something else. You can melt it down and start all over. If you put gold in a computer chip, At the end of the day, if you don't need the chip anymore, you can get the gold out of the chip and reuse it. You can use it over and over and over again for all of eternity and never lose any of its properties. That is what you are paying for when you buy gold. You are buying all of the future use of gold into eternity and you're paying the present value of that today. And of course, eventually, all of the gold will be mined. I know people are going to say, well, what about the gold in outer space? Let's forget about, you know, asteroids for a minute. At some point, we may mine the last ounce on Earth, and all the gold we're going to have is going to be above ground, and that's going to be what we've got. And of course, in the future, more people will be here. There'll be more uses for gold that have been discovered that we don't even know about now. And so the gold that we have, that's the gold. And so all of that value is incorporated into the current price. So given the fact that gold is so unique 
and can be reused indefinitely, there is going to be a premium associated with that. And everybody just dismisses it if they think, well, gold should just be priced like any other commodity that can't be reused and that once you use it, it's gone for good. Also, later in the day, we got the release of the minutes from the last Federal Open Market Committee meeting, and they finally actually spelled out a timetable for the taper and put forth a rate by which the monthly bond purchases would actually be tapered. It's $15 billion per month. Now, right now, they're doing $120 billion per month combined U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, and they are going to reduce those purchases by $15 billion each month. So at that rate, if the Fed keeps up with that timetable, it would take eight months to fully taper QE down to zero and get to the point where the Federal Reserve is no longer monetizing any of the enormous U.S. budget deficits. Now, I very much doubt that if the Fed actually begins this process, which according to the minutes is going to start in mid-November or sometime in December, I highly doubt that they're actually going to finish the eight months and go to zero because eight months is a long time. And during that time period, things may happen. And the fact that the Fed is tapering may in fact accelerate that process. And so the economy or the markets or both may weaken to the point that the Fed feels compelled to pause the taper, if not reverse it completely, and end up doing more QE than it did before it started the taper. But right now, the markets are accepting this as reality. And of course, if the Fed keeps true to this commitment, that means that liftoff, when it comes to rate hikes, are on the table by mid-2022. Now, of course, the Fed didn't say anything that would indicate that the rate hikes would immediately follow the end of the QE program. All they've said is that they're not going to consider those rate hikes until they fully tapered QE down to zero. And so if the Fed actually lives up to this timetable, they will be able to at least consider raising rates. Of course, considering raising rates and actually raising rates, there's a big difference there. And of course, even if the Fed does raise rates, it's going to be by an insignificant amount, maybe just for window dressing, just to kind of show that they can raise rates. But hopefully by raising them by such a small amount, their thought process may be, hey, it's not going to do that much harm if we just go from zero to 25 basis points or something like that. Maybe we can get away with this just for show to pretend we can raise rates by actually starting the process, even though we never actually finish it. And then, of course, they come up with some excuse as to why they have to go back to zero, but at least pretend that they had intended to normalize rates, but just something out of the blue just happened to happen, and now they can't do what they pretended they were going to do. But again, I don't think we'll even get that far, but the markets seem to think that way because if you look at what is now priced in, markets now expect the first rate hike to come a little sooner than what the markets were expecting prior to these minutes being released. So in other words, as a result of these minutes, the markets now expect the Fed to raise rates sooner than what they expected before the minutes. In other words, the minutes made the markets perceive that the Fed is less dovish than it was before. Yet despite that, the dollar still fell 
and gold still rose, which is a pretty strong indication that all of these expectations are already built into the market, meaning that any benefit the dollar was going to have from the Fed tightening has already been priced into the dollar. Any damage that the gold market was going to suffer based on the Fed tightening, normalizing rates, well, it's already suffered that damage. And so in other words, the path is now clear, regardless of what the Fed does, for the dollar to go down and the price of gold to go up. And of course, if the markets are surprised because the Fed does not deliver what it's promised when it comes to ending quantitative easing and eventually raising rates, if we don't get that, if the Fed calls off the taper and ramps up QE and completely takes potential future rate hikes off the table, well, then the gold market will explode and the dollar market will implode. Plus, I think if the gold market is finally out of the doldrums, if gold prices are finally going to be going up along with inflation fears and gold is now going to be acting as the inflation hedge that everybody expected and that so many people were disappointed because it wasn't doing what they expected and so maybe they got sidetracked or suckered into getting into bitcoin instead if gold is finally really going up well that removes the ability of the bitcoin pumpers to use gold's failure to rise as a reason to buy Bitcoin. They won't be able to say gold is dead, gold is no longer an inflation hedge, so you gotta buy Bitcoin. If gold is not dead, if it's alive and it's acting like an inflation hedge, then what do you need Bitcoin for? Why do you need a cheap imitation if you have the real thing? Why would you have to settle for fool's gold when real gold is doing the job? But the most important point that I really wanna stress in this podcast is that Inflation is here to stay, and the markets may finally be acknowledging that reality. And they're beginning to price it in. But it's still the early stages. And what I think is happening with inflation is we are entering an inflationary super cycle. That's how bad this is going to be. And it makes sense because just a couple of years ago, the experts were saying that inflation was completely vanquished that we would never have inflation again. In fact, they were worried about the opposite of inflation. Deflation was the boogeyman. Everybody was worried that we didn't have enough inflation, that we might actually have disinflation or deflation. And just when the entire world was worried about deflation, the world gets surprised with massive inflation. And of course, it makes sense because all of the years that we just assumed that inflation had been permanently banished to the graveyard of history, we kept creating more inflation. We kept printing more money, printing more money. And when we didn't immediately see the impact on prices, we printed more, we printed more. And so that lag lulled everybody into a false sense of complacency that we could keep on creating inflation yet never actually experience it because they didn't equate the money printing with inflation. They just looked at consumer prices and because consumer prices weren't rising, even though we were printing all this money, well, we printed even more. And the deficits kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger with no apparent effect on inflation or the dollar. And so we had no reason to curtail those deficits. And so they got bigger and bigger, but now ultimately we're going to get hit with this tsunami of inflation 
because of all the years that we kept creating more of it, operating under that delusion that it was never going to be a problem. And now we are uniquely vulnerable and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. I mean, think about the economy that we have created based on the idea that we're never going to have inflation. We have this whole service sector economy that Biden basically conceded existed when he said we need to make more stuff ourselves. But as I began to say earlier, the reason we're not making more stuff is not only because of tax policy and regulatory policy, but because of monetary policy, because of all the inflation we've created to artificially drive down interest rates, we haven't been producing stuff. We haven't been investing in plant and equipment. Instead, companies have just bought back their own overpriced stock. And instead of planting more farmland or opening up more copper mines or building more factories to make more stuff, where's our money gone? Our money has gone into all of the bubble areas of the economy. So as a result, we have all these social media sites, right, that have gotten billions and billions, right? You got Facebook, you got Instagram, you got TikTok, Snapchat, all sorts of things, Twitter. We've got all these companies, right? If you want to interact with the public on social media, you've got all sorts of choices, right? We've got plenty of supply there. We also have lots of cryptocurrencies, right? If you want to buy a cryptocurrency, take your pick. There's almost 13,000 cryptocurrencies. Every day, we create a brand new cryptocurrency. But the resources that go into creating those currencies, they're real. People are working. Capital is being invested. So while we're busy creating digital nothing, we're not creating actual somethings. We are not producing real goods and services while we're producing all these cryptocurrencies. But of course, nobody actually wants any of these cryptocurrencies, right? Cryptocurrencies are an instrumental good. They're a means to an end. Why do people want cryptocurrencies? And the same thing would apply to NFTs. People don't want NFTs because they really think they're a great, rare piece of a collectible that they just want to admire. People are buying NFTs for the same reason they're buying Bitcoin or Ether. They think the price is going to go up. And when the price goes up, they'll be able to use their appreciated currency to buy more stuff. So the real goal of the crypto buyer is to buy actual things. People who are buying Bitcoin now, they want to get rich. And when they get rich on Bitcoin, they want to spend their Bitcoin and buy all the things that rich people buy. They want to buy a nice house. They want to buy a nice car. They want to travel. So ultimately, they're going to have to sell their Bitcoin and spend them. But the problem is we're not producing all the things that the people buying cryptocurrencies want to buy. What we're producing is all the cryptocurrencies that nobody needs. And again, someone's going to say, well, that's true with gold. No, there is always a real buyer for gold. Some people are buying gold to hold it and store its value. Other people are buying gold to use the value right now. You always have those users in the gold market. You never have those users in the Bitcoin market. So the only way a Bitcoin can be sold is if another speculator wants to buy it. There is no user of Bitcoin who needs it. Like in the gold industry, it's all about the next speculator paying a higher price. But at some point, People are going to want to turn their paper wealth into real goods, but we're not producing those real goods. That is part of the problem. The Fed has inflated this bubble, and part of what happens when you keep interest rates artificially low is it screws up the way the economy 
allocates resources and production. When you have low interest rates, in a free economy, low interest rates would result from an abundance of savings. And if you have a lot of savings, what does that mean? That means that people are not consuming today. Their time preference for consumption is in the future. And so the signal that that sends to the economy is, hey, you don't need to produce a lot of stuff for today because Americans are saving. They're not spending a lot of money. So you can invest in these long-term projects that aren't going to pay off for years and years and years. And so then you end up investing in those type of projects that don't have immediate returns because you've got these low interest rates that are sending the signal that Americans don't need the money right now. They're going to save and they're going to spend the money in the future. So let's look at delivering value in the future. It's not important that we deliver it right now. Of course, that's not the reason that interest rates are low. Interest rates are only low because the Fed is artificially suppressing them. Americans are still spending money like drunken sailors. Not that I want to insult the drunken sailors, but that means that these are all malinvestments. And ultimately, they're going to have to be liquidated when the truth is unveiled, when interest rates eventually explode or the dollar implodes as a result of this policy. Because if the Federal Reserve allowed interest rates to rise to where they should be, given our lack of savings and our propensity to consume right now, then all these cryptocurrency companies or these other meme stocks or money losing companies would not be able to get any capital. They would all go out of business. The only companies that could get capital were those who were putting it to productive use right now because they would have to pay these higher rates of interest and they would have to be able to do that out of current cash flow. And how would they generate the cash flow in order to pay the higher interest? They would be producing the goods and services that Americans demand now, that they want to buy now. And in so doing, they would be able to afford this higher hurdle rate. They could pay the higher interest rates. These companies that are promising earnings 50 years into the future, obviously they would not be able to compete with real businesses that are generating earnings right now. And so those are the businesses that would get the capital. And those are the businesses that need the capital because we don't have enough production. We're running these massive trade deficits clearly evidencing the fact that we're not producing enough. We need to invest more in productive capacity, but the Fed is preventing that from happening with its inflationary monetary policies. So we've created this service sector just-in-time economy. No one's producing. No one's got inventory. We're printing all this money, and now all hell is about to bake loose in this inflationary super cycle where these chickens are going to come home to roost, where we've got all this money and nothing to buy. That is where we are. Now, we have relied in large degree on foreigners because they have supplied us with all the goods that we didn't produce. But the only reason we can afford to import them is because of the exchange rate of the dollar, because the world wants the dollar. Well, why did they want the dollar? So they can invest in our treasuries. Well, why would they want to invest in our treasuries to get a 1.5% yield on a 10-year with inflation at 6%? They won't. There'll be no demand for the dollar because there'll be no demand for our bond market outside of the Federal Reserve. And of course, the more bonds the Fed is forced to monetize, the more inflation they create in the process, which means the more toxic dollars and U.S. treasuries become to any private 
owner. So again, we won't be able to finance our trade deficits because our trading partners won't want to recycle their dollars into treasuries. And so the dollar has to implode and then the cost of imports explodes. And now we've got a much worse problem than the one that we have now. Of course, we could try to claim it's all about supply and a breakdown of the supply chain, but it's really going to be a breakdown of the dollar That is the result of years and years of printing too many of them and at the same time suppressing genuine economic activity. And rather than having a legitimate productive economy, we just have bubbles everywhere. You know, it's amazing that Barry Sternlich can identify all the other bubbles in the economy, but the one bubble that he's oblivious to is the bubble in cryptocurrency. Again, I guess like beauty, bubbles are always in the eye of the beholder because the minute you actually get involved in a bubble, you can no longer see it for what it is. So I think because Barry owns some Bitcoin and it's probably gone up since he bought it, he's oblivious to the fact that it's in a bubble just like everything else. In fact, the crypto casino is an even bigger casino than the stock market. 